shocking explosion outside a Langley Mall. Get back! Get out of there, man! The source of the blast and the challenge to clean it up. Hey everyone, I just wanted to come on here and share what happened to me last night. Beaten after getting off a bus. How a trip home from the fireworks turned into a terrifying ordeal. And bungling at BC Ferries. I am stating very clearly that we want significantly better results from BC Ferries. From website woes to scheduling snafus, the problems that need fixing fast. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The boom echoed for blocks throughout Langley. An explosion near a busy shopping center rocked the Willoughby neighborhood this morning. It shredded the welding truck where it ignited and terrified residents as debris flew everywhere. Aaron MacArthur is live where it happened and Aaron, it really is a miracle that no one was hurt. Yeah, Chris, the damage is unbelievable. That wreckage you can see behind me is what's left of the welding truck. And considering the absolute amount of property damage, it's hard to believe no one was hurt. A typical day in a Langley hair salon. Blown apart by what sounded like a bomb. The explosion captured on doorbell cameras across Langley. We actually originally thought that it was something in the daycare. The explosion came from the parking lot of the Willoughby Town Centre. A work truck obliterated by an explosion. Get out of there, man! Langley fire crews responded immediately, and while the fire was extinguished quickly, the damage was extensive. Debris thrown over several hundred metres in all directions. Bits of metal and chunks of glass could be found all over the parking lot of the strip mall complex and in an elementary school field nearby. Cars next to the truck destroyed. For people who live in the neighborhood, the explosion was terrifying. I came out into the living room, our blinds were off the, off the walls, and all the cupboard doors were open, and yeah, it just scared the bejesus out of us. There was a lot of panic and a lot of screaming, people running around, a lot of people trying to get out of the area and their cars that were parked there, but I think there were too many people in the street for them to get out, so yeah. it was chaos. The truck is believed to have been carrying welding equipment, including acetylene tanks. The RCMP won't speculate as to the cause of the explosion, but at this point it appears to be a workplace accident. WorkSafe BC was seen interviewing a man believed to be the owner or the driver of the vehicle. Police say no one was injured. If that vehicle had been on the other side of the building in a more densely packed lot, we would have had a lot of injuries. So we got away very lucky today. Wednesday afternoon, much of the Willoughby Mall complex still behind police tape. The RCMP continuing to investigate. Now, the RCMP are continuing to investigate in case something criminal comes up down the road, but they're fairly confident at this point it's a workplace accident. Work Safe BC has moved in, saying they're aiming to prevent this type of accident from happening in the future. Chris, Sophie. What a moment. All right, thanks very much, Aaron. A West Vancouver woman is speaking out tonight after she says she was assaulted for defending a bus driver on her way home from the fireworks on Saturday night. The incident left Karen Erickson black and blue with a concussion. But if she told our Catherine Urquhart, she would do it all over again. 
I was lucky not to lose my teeth or break my jaw. Karen Erickson's injuries include a broken nose, concussion, bruised face and leg. Saturday night, she was assaulted after getting off a bus in front of West Vancouver's Park Royal Mall. Last night was extremely traumatic. The real estate agent is home recovering from the attack, which happened after the fireworks. Erickson says a group of young adults boarded her bus and one of them, a woman, got into a verbal altercation with the driver. Brought my cell phone up and started videoing. I was in the front row. Security was called, but the passenger was allowed to stay on the bus. Erickson says that person was angry. She had been recording the incident and after she disembarked, was attacked. I was hit over the, the back, the head, something in that, and thrown on the ground face first. Just completely uh, traumatized, jumped up, turned to see what had happened and saw two girls running away. Transit security, who had remained on board after the initial altercation, jumped into action and assisted police. West Vancouver police say they arrested a 22-year-old woman and they'll be recommending a charge of assault causing bodily harm. The woman is expected to make a court appearance in November. Erickson says she's still shocked by the violent attack, but would get involved again if she thought she could help someone. I think it's totally shocking, and I think the, the importance here is this is not about me. This is about everyone living in Vancouver. This is... Um, this is a story about the, the acceptance almost of violence. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And despite calls for police to do more to prevent crime on public transit, there were actually fewer crimes recorded in 2022 compared to 2021. Violent crime numbers are also steady year to year. It's a similar story when it comes to assaults on transit operators. In 2022, there were 65 compared to 67 the year before. Still, TransLink says it's installing around 400 hard safety barriers for operators this year. Police on Vancouver Island are investigating the discovery of a body in Oak Bay. The body of the adult male was reportedly found in the bushes by people out for a walk around 8 o'clock this morning. Police shut down all traffic on the nearby road, calling in the Saanich Police Department's detective unit as well as forensic investigators. The coroner's service arrived on scene, but the roadway between Monterey Avenue and King George Terrace remained closed for several hours. Oak Bay police say the investigation is in its early stages, but the death is considered suspicious. Well, the wheels of justice already turned slowly, and now a shortage of sheriffs is causing further delays, with courtrooms across the province seeing days of shutdowns. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the challenge isn't necessarily retaining current sheriffs, it's recruiting new ones. B.C. sheriff shortages are nothing new, but the ongoing crisis is once again leading to courtroom closures. Surrey Provincial Court recently closed five courtrooms for the day, and the Abbotsford Law Courts shut down three courtrooms on July 21st, 24th and 25th because there were no sheriffs to staff them. According to a new government report on understanding recruitment and retention in the B.C. Sheriff's Service, over the past three years, the number of exits has surpassed the organization's capacity to recruit and train new staff. 
occasionally leading to staff shortages. Quote, there have been numerous instances where courtrooms throughout the province have operated without a deputy sheriff present. If the situation continues unchecked, it could lead to court closures and limited access to justice for British Columbians. The B.C. General Employees Union says recruitment is the biggest issue and the wage gap between policing. Two years ago, they had 500 to 1,000 applicants for sheriff's training. This past spring, there were 10. Well, what we see in, in police forces is that they are over six-figure incomes between 110 and 130. For our members, it's uh, around 75, 80,000. And we sort of feel like the sweet spot and recommended uh, in the Brown report, which was just recently released, is about 90,000. Um, and again, government could do that at any time with a temporary market adjustment. With BC's justice system already plagued by backlogs, lawyers say this means means more delays given an accused is guaranteed the right to trial within a reasonable time. Someone who's charged with an offense may not go through a full trial if there's been an 18-month period wherein the trial has not completed. The charges may be stayed and they are free to walk. If a sheriff is not in a courtroom and a trial cannot occur and those dates are lost, there are significant knock-on effects for the criminal justice system. It's a very significant funding issue that needs to be addressed. The BC Prosecution Service told us questions related to courtroom staffing issues should be directed to the Attorney General's ministry. The AG was traveling Wednesday and unavailable for an interview. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver's Deputy Police Chief is raising alarms about the prevalence of replica guns. In a tweet, Howard Chow shared pictures of five firearms, asking people if they can tell which guns are real and which are fake. He says officers attend calls featuring a fake gun almost every day, and when one of them is pulled on you, it can be hard to tell them apart. He expects VPD will seize a total of 400 replica guns this year. It has now been one week since Surrey RCMP issued an Amber Alert for two missing children. Investigators say they're working around the clock on the case, but they'll need the public's help to find them. The alert went out last Wednesday after 45-year-old Verity Bolton failed to return her two children, 8-year-old Aurora and 10-year-old Joshua, to their father at the end of a planned vacation. He has sole custody. The children are also believed to be in the company of Verity's father, Robert Bolton and her boyfriend, Abraxas Glazov. Investigators believe the abduction of Aurora and Joshua was pre-planned, and they believe the group has moved off the grid, living in trailers somewhere in a rural area. The last sighting was on July 7th at a gas station in Merritt. Police say they're still concerned for the safety of the children and need the public's help to find them. Anyone who sees the children or the other people involved in this, call 911 or the dedicated tip line at 604-599-7676. Well, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau made a significant cabinet shuffle today. A number of changes and new faces. Let's bring in our Keith Baldry for more on who's in, who's out, and Keith, why this is happening now. Well, first, the why. The Liberals have been slumping in the polls big time, and this is an attempt, I think, basically to reboot the government and reboot its brand. This is the biggest cabinet shuffle in years. We're talking about seven people being dropped, 23 ministers getting new portfolios or getting added responsibilities. Not going to go through all of them, but here's the ones in terms of what's affected in B.C. So Jonathan Wilkinson's getting added the energy portfolio on top of natural resources. Harjit Sajjan is now going to emergency preparedness. Also, the president of the King's Privy Council, uh, 
part of cultural and delta. She's sport and physical activity. And Terry Beach from Burnaby, uh, Seymour, Burnaby North Seymour makes the leap from the back bench to the front bench. He gets citizen services. There's also some other key appointments that do affect BC, notably public safety. Dominic LeBlanc takes over there from Mendocino. Justice goes to Arif Varani, a newcomer there as well. So those are two portfolios where the previous ministers bit offside with what BC was looking for when it came to things like bail reform. Health, a huge portfolio, has a new minister in Mark Holland. Defense, Bill Blair, the very capable Bill Blair, moves to a very important portfolio there. And I want to put this one in there. Anita Anand, keep an eye on her. She continues to rise through the ranks, very highly regarded. She is now the Treasury Board President. She's going to go, I think, even higher than that if the Liberals maintain government. Uh, Justin Trudeau today outlining some of the reasons for his changes. And Pierre Poliev, no surprise, doesn't buy any of it. This is a difficult time right now for millions of people in Canada and around the world. And making sure that we have the best possible team aligned to respond to Canadians' challenges with the supports necessary, but also show that optimism, that ambition for getting us through these consequential times. Today, by firing or moving most of his cabinet, Justin Trudeau has admitted that after eight years of inflationary spending that has exploded the cost of living, eight years of carbon taxes that drive up your gas, heat, and groceries, eight years of catch-and-release policies that make our streets dangerous, and eight years of doubling the cost of housing, his government is a failure. So today's shuffle comes on the same day Abacus Data released a poll showing alarming news for the Liberals, a 10-point gap now between them and the Conservatives. So this attempt now to reboot uh, has to be successful if they want to close that gap. But again, he's got a few, significant time before he has to call the next election. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see if it works. Thanks for that, Keith. Some sad news tonight about a B.C. icon who pioneered roles for women in Canada. Former journalist and senator Pat Carney has died. Carney was the first woman business columnist for a major daily newspaper. And after her election as a conservative MP in B.C. in 1980, she was the first woman in every post she held, including Minister of Energy, International Trade and President of the Treasury Board. She was appointed to the Senate in 1990. Carney was 88 years old. Website and scheduling issues continue to dog B.C. ferries. Yesterday, we potentially turned away loads of customers. People were relying on inaccurate information. The array of issues they promise will be fixed before the next long weekend rush occurs. That's coming up in just over a minute. A share of a huge lottery jackpot just went to someone in Kamloops. How much they get to take home later. Plus, new rules for traveling to Europe and why you'll soon need more than your passport to get there. That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, more fallout today after a technical glitch on the BC Ferries website. Not only did the error overstate sailing wait times, but we're also learning refunds could now take weeks. Yesterday's debacle, though, just one on a growing list of frustrations involving BC Ferries. Our Kamal Karamali is live at Tawasan Ferry Terminal tonight. Kamal, what troubles were passengers facing today? 
Sophie, the good news is it's definitely less chaotic than uh, when we saw that glitch on the website yesterday. The bad news is those who decided to bypass the website, not book reservations, and take a chance on the standby line, well, they were out of luck. Another choppy day. All we can do is to stay here and wait and keep buying my kids food. On the wait to sail the waters. Munir Dawood decided to wait in the standby line from Tuasin to Schwartz Bay after the BC Ferries website sailed into some trouble. We stuck here and nobody's like there is no option. Nobody tell us to how long it's gonna take. Now waiting for hours, he wants a refund. The problem is the BC Ferries website shows that could take up to six weeks. I have kids in the car, so I have to. It's better for me to go back to Vancouver. What's your message to BC Ferries? About they have to, they have to work on. Not the only one here deciding to pack it in, looking for a refund they probably won't get anytime soon. It's nice if you get it sooner, but better late than never. This comes after a day that saw anything but smooth sailings. Tuesday, the BC Ferries website showed a nine sailing wait from Vancouver to Victoria that didn't actually exist. Travelers saw that every ferry was sold out until late in the evening. The company says when the first few people arrived late to their reservations, there was a domino effect filling up the other openings on later sailings. So it's only within that last 30 minutes of the actual departure time do we actually know who showed up and who did not show up, and then the system reflects that and adjusts it accordingly. No way to resolve that issue for now. It's all accumulated into political sparring. I don't think things have ever been this bad than what we're seeing with BC Ferries uh, today, and it continues to get worse. There are some general problems that apply to the entire transportation system, uh, not just here in British Columbia, but across the continent. You're seeing you know, WestJet and Air Canada have to respond to that. We're seeing airports. Uh, this is happening in Europe. Washington State Ferries closer to home is struggling as well to serve the coastal communities that, that they serve. BC Ferries says it is hiring additional staff to improve the response time, but many questioning why that wasn't done sooner. The general public looks to the ferry to be reliable and consistent, and uh, there's been some troubles with that this year and last year. And some good news here at the Tuasin Ferry, Ferry Terminal. We've heard from BC Ferries that the Coastal Celebration Ferry, which has been in and out of commission since late June, will return to the fleet this Friday. And uh, that will sort of ease some of the load uh, that the passengers here are facing. So BC Ferries says the Coastal Celebration was out of commission because a blade seal needed to be replaced. And when it returns on Friday, Chris and Sophie, it'll cater to 1,600 passengers and eight sailings per day. Back over to you. Well, hopefully it'll stay in service this time around. Mm -hmm. All right. That is the key. Thanks, Kamal. <laughs> Coming up, the remote First Nations staking a claim on its future. All the gold in the world doesn't mean anything if we haven't protected Taltan rights. Why the Taltan central government is battling to prevent a major gold and copper mine on its territory later. And what investigators learned about a reckless trucker caught on camera near Clearwater. First Nation in B.C.'s northwest is demanding a Vancouver-based mining company shut down operations in a part of its territory. Doubleview Gold Corp. is developing a gold and copper mine. But as Global's Paul Johnson reports, the Taltan Nation says the mine is located in an area where its ancestors are buried. Disrespected, frustrated 
uh, angry. That's how Chad Day describes the Taltan Nation's reaction to years of dealing with a Vancouver mining company that has a project on their territory. They say the situation has left them with little choice but to come out against the project with the intention of having it completely shut down by next summer. We've tried to work with the company for several years to come together with them and the province to alleviate the ongoing concerns, and they basically just ignored us. The company the Taltan are struggling with is Vancouver-based Doubleview Gold Corporation. They didn't respond to our request for comment, but their website says the project encompasses 5,200 acres, and exploration has found gold, copper, and other minerals. But the Taltans say the area is a sacred place, and even includes the burial grounds of some of their ancestors. We're not going to have an open pit mine or any kind of mine around an area where our ancestors are buried. The Taltan are also calling into question the tens of thousands of mineral claims on their territory that have been staked without their consent. We reached out to the ministry that regulates mines in BC and they said they're working to update the laws about mineral rights and will do it in a way to ensure early, consistent and transparent involvement of First Nations as rights holders. The Taltan are not known as obstructionists in the sector. Their leadership are thought of as pragmatic and well-organized, but not afraid of standing their ground. When we start seeing the jade... Case in point is their opposition to the reality show Jade Fever, which they say was shot on their land without permission. It was subsequently pulled from the airwaves adding some clout to their argument that W Gold and Victoria would be wise to sort out a solution. I'm very confident that the province will sort this out because they're going to have a hell of a lot more pro problems on their hands coming from the Taltan Nation if they don't. Paul Johnson, Global News. An update now on a frightening case of dangerous driving on a B.C. highway that was caught on dash cam video. The video was taken in March on Highway 5 north of Kamloops, and it shows a semi-trailer passing on a double line and just barely making it back into the right lane before hitting oncoming traffic. B.C. Highway Patrol now says with the help of the company involved, the driver was identified and immediately fired. The driver lived in Edmonton, but when police there tried to serve him with the B.C. ticket, they discovered he had returned to his home country. The Highway Patrol says charges under the Motor Vehicle Act have a one-year statute of limitations, and the driver could be charged if he returns during that time. Well, travel to Europe soon won't be as simple as it used to be. What you'll need when you get there besides your passport next. And the B.C. city with the province's newest multi-millionaire coming up. Well, Canadians will have to shell out a little more if they're looking to travel across the pond next year. That's right. The European Union is introducing a mandatory travel permit as it looks to strengthen border security. Global's Kyle Benning has more. It's another small hurdle for Canadians looking for a European getaway next year. The EU will require travel authorization for people from 60 different countries. 
A firm date has not been set for when the program starts, but Canadians will have to submit a form that includes personal information, travel details, education levels and work status, as well as any criminal convictions. The $10 permit will allow stays for up to three months. Longer visits will require a visa. Travel experts say while it is a minor inconvenience, it's something passengers will need to do prior to arriving at a Canadian airport. Unfortunately, one of those things that if you forget, you're not getting on board the aircraft. It's a requirement. So what this really is a reminder for people to do is to visit our government's website, which is travel.gc.ca, to find out what type of entry requirements you need. This comes after the United Kingdom announced a similar measure earlier this year. The British system is expected to be up and running by 2025 with a $17 fee. But because of Brexit, any travellers looking to visit the UK and continental Europe will need both permits. The EU permit is valid for three years, while the British one will last for two. The European Union expects the new rules will impact 1.4 billion travellers. Kyle Benning, Global News. It'll be a fireworks fiesta tonight. Mexico is dazzling the crowds in Vancouver for night two of the Honda Celebration of Light fireworks display in English Bay. And our Cassidy Moscone is live at English Bay with more on the growing anticipation and I assume, Cassidy, the growing crowds down there. Yes, Team Mexico has really come out in numbers tonight and there's a big crowd already, not quite as big as Saturday's event, but there's still time and that's the theme of tonight's event, time travel. Organisers tell me this year's competing countries, Australia, Mexico and the Philippines, were specifically selected to really engage those growing communities here in Vancouver. Authorities are reminding attendees to take their garbage with them and are hoping for another peaceful night tonight. VPD's message to people looking to cause trouble. Well, there's no room for that here. So leave your drugs and alcohol at home. This is a family-friendly event. Uh, we'll have plenty of officers out to provide that safety. So just come on out, enjoy the night safely. You know, bike down, walk down, take transit. Um, but, you know, vehicle traffic in the West End gets shut down pretty early and it just becomes a bit of a nightmare to, to get in and around here. So the, the best thing to do is ditch the car, walk in. Four hours to go until Team Mexico light up the night sky. I'm looking forward to what they've got. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. You and hundreds of thousands of others. Thanks, Cassidy. <laughs> no doubt. Nice to have her on the team too. Welcome, Cassidy. Well, someone in Kamloops is waking up $35 million richer. A Lotto Max ticket bought in Kamloops has matched all seven winning numbers. They'll split that $70 million prize with someone who bought a ticket in Alberta. Two more tickets in B.C., one sold in Vancouver and one sold in Delta, each won a $1 million prize. Winners have 52 weeks from the draw date to claim their winnings. BC Supreme Court has given the green light to a class action lawsuit over the notorious fake nurse who worked at BC Women's Hospital for a year. Supreme Court Justice Michael Stevens has ruled a claim against the Provincial Health Services Authority regarding its hiring of Bridget Clarou can proceed as a class action. Clarou, who has a long criminal history of pretending to be a nurse across North America, assisted with surgeries and cared for more than 1,100 women at BC Women's Hospital in 2020 and 2021. She's facing at least 17 charges in BC and is currently serving a seven-year sentence in Ontario for posing as a nurse in Ottawa. 
The class action suit claims the PHSA is liable for violations of privacy and seeks punitive damages. The authority says it can't comment because the matter is before the courts. At the trial of the man accused of killing a young Burnaby teenager in 2017, testimony focused once again on DNA. As Rumina Dea reports, defense lawyers for Ibrahim Ali zeroed in on contaminated evidence. Forensic DNA analyst Jacqueline Ip remembers working late on a Friday night and coming in to do overtime over the weekend six years ago in July 2017. This case flagged by the RCMP as a priority. Ip testified she couldn't recall if she knew the urgent request involved the young teen who was found dead in Burnaby Central Park days earlier. Her partially undressed body discovered in the forest July 19th. The witness told the jury she followed the standard operating procedures for DNA analysis. But under cross-examination, Ip told defense counsel contamination did happen with a sample from another case, but it was reported. Kevin McCullough suggested Ip was under pressure and made a mistake. She disagreed, saying she followed all the steps. Ip says she did not do any analysis on an exhibit, which would indicate evidence of a condom. Yesterday, the jury heard from another forensic DNA analyst, Maria Lee, who testified a defective test tube with a pin-sized hole was discovered and reported according to protocol. So how is all of this relevant? DNA is the crux of this case. No eyewitnesses, said Crown Counsel Isabel Keeley in her opening address to the jury three months ago. Crown said the accused, 33-year-old Ibrahim Ali, sexually assaulted and strangled the teen. Ali's DNA found inside the girl, said Keeley. Crown said it was a random attack, adding that Ali and the teen did not know each other. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. Defense will explain its theory about what happened after Crown has called all its witnesses. Romina Dea, Global News. Just ahead, Kelowna filmmakers getting global attention. It's really a, a kind of a good news pandemic story. Sharing stories of the artists and entrepreneurs who found a way to survive. And coming up in sports, catching up with the fastest man in the country. Andre de Grasse prepares for the Canadian Championships. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, as you know, it's been a hot, dry summer so far, and among those feeling it the most are BC's farmers and ranchers. Hay production is just a fraction of what it normally is, so the government is stepping in, hoping a new program will help them feed their animals through some tough months ahead. Krista Dow reports. This is like our premium hay, essentially. In an average year, this barn would be stacks full of hay bales. Normally, we'd be standing in hay. This year, not so much. Dustin Schatz with Craig and Tinney Farms in Langley can usually make about 10,000 square bales of hay. This year, just a fraction of that number. No rain means he's only making about 1,800. We're considerably down and we're basically finished with the year. Like we're, you know, if it doesn't rain for the next two weeks and be 30 degrees for the last two weeks of August, as far as square bales go, it's just not gonna happen, right? Schatz is doing what he can to feed his 50 sheep and 35 head of cattle. But even his supply won't be enough. 
and he may have to say goodbye to some. Currently, I'm most likely going to have to sell probably 60 to 80 percent of my sheep herd just because I don't have the square bales for them this year. Shots of struggles, a scenario playing out right across B.C. This year's unprecedented drought conditions has farmers and producers scrambling to find feed and hay. This is a province-wide drought that we're facing. The province working with the B.C. Cattlemen's Association, launching something of a dating service, connecting farmers with much-needed feed, looking around B.C. and in the United States. We're getting a tally and an accounting of what feed is available, what type of feed, and how to access that. This is available for everyone, no matter which sector they're in. BC has also received approval from Ottawa for advanced payments for farmers who are cash-strapped. The supports much-needed relief for BC farmers and consumers. The more our government is able to help our agricultural sector, the better it is for everybody. To do the more hay we're bringing in from out of province and out of and out of state, um, it's just going to increase the price of local products. Meantime, Shots doing his best to feed his animals, knowing there will be some tough decisions down the line. Krista Dow, Global News. They need a lot of rain and then a lot of sunshine. And we're going to get a lot of one and not the other. And Yvonne Shell joins us now in for Christy with the details. Yeah, we are back into that sunshine. Thank you so much, guys, and good evening, everyone. Uh, it's going to heat up once again as we get in towards the coming days. Quite pleasant, though, and great this evening if you're heading out to the fireworks as well. Temperatures are currently sitting at 21. We've got that westerly wind at 20 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province through the day today with Lytton getting up to 28 degrees, Revelstoke 22, and Fort Nelson topping out at 17 degrees. Now, the plan overnight tonight, we do have some cloud cover that is going to roll in. It'll be a mainly cloud start for tomorrow morning and then we'll rebound. We've got plenty of sunshine and nice clearing is on the way and we'll be into the low 20s. Bit of a blip in the forecast that's along the northern half of the province central regions where we are seeing some instability. Now across the southern half of the province areas near the Thompson and the southeastern corner smoky skies bulletin still impacting the areas in grey over the next 24 and 48 hours. We do have rain and that's for the northeastern corners for Fort Nelson Munchell Lake Park with rainfall heavy at times tonight and then an additional 30 and potentially up to 50 millimeters leading in towards the morning hours and then easing off through the day. Wanted to show you the temperature trend. If you do have plans, it'll be quite pleasant in towards the weekend. But as we get in towards next week, we've got that surge in temperatures will be into the upper 20s. And for areas in towards the interior, it will be into the low 30s. So the heat is going to make a return. Lots of instability with the risk of thunderstorms throughout much of the northern and central half of the province for the interior as well. I've left that in there. Kamloops, 29 degrees and across the island the eastern edge and inland even along the sunshine coast we'll see the risk of thunderstorms we've got that cloud cover for the lower mainland clearing sunny and drying towards the weekend so far saturday we're up to 24 all right this is a great shot double rainbow that was captured in Kelowna, and this one taken by murray guys so beautiful <laughs> don't cry like that guy <laughs> in that viral video yeah i only kind of remember that that yeah it seems like always it, think about it's decades ago <laughs> was it, was it, I don't know. It seems like a long time. It was a long time. Getting that old now. Yeah. All right, Squire is here with a look ahead to sports. What's happening, Squire? Well, the um, Canadian Track and Field Championships are going on tomorrow through Sunday at McLeod Athletic Park, which is in Langley. And Andre, Andre de Grasse will be there. 
I'm very happy to be here this year. Uh, I get a chance to compete on home soil. Haven't done that uh, in four years now. Yeah, since Montreal. He helped Canada win a gold in the 4x100 at the Worlds last year. Of course, he has won six Olympic medals during his career as well. Also tonight, when life gives you a pandemic, the documentary from Kelowna filmmakers showing the resilience of BC businesses. source that brings us together. Global News. All right, should be an exciting day in Langley tomorrow. Why are you smacking your scripts like that? I don't know. I just, I just, I'm warming up. I like to limber up before the show. You're pumped. Before the starting gun goes off, perhaps, Squire? Well, there you go. Canadian Track and Field Championships. They're in town. They're at Langley's McLeod Athletic Park tomorrow until Sunday. You will see Olympians, namely Andre de Grasse, who of course won gold in the 200 meters at the last Olympics in Tokyo. He also anchored Canada to a gold medal in the 4x100 relay at last year's World Championships. Obviously, he's extremely fast. But just the same, Barry DeLay caught up with him today with a microphone that looks to be part rodent. You will see what I mean. Well, he is the Olympic gold medalist in the 200 meters in Tokyo, but he's got uh, six in all. The Olympics are your uh, game, Andre de Grasse. And one year from today, they start again in Paris. How far ahead are you looking to uh, have some more Olympic glory? Yeah, I mean, of course, Paris, the, the thing that reminds me is that, you know, Tokyo, there was no fans. And now I'll get a chance, an opportunity to, you know, have fans again in Paris. So that's going to be amazing. I think the atmosphere will be you know, just electric. So, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to it. I'm excited, and uh, I'm hoping that it goes well, just like my last two. <laughs> now, I can't imagine more pressure in the yeah. world than being in the starting blocks for an Olympic final, yet you've just excelled. Why do you yeah. think you've been at your best when the pressure has been at its highest? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just all, all on my support team. Uh, they just do an amazing job of getting me mentally and physically prepared. Um, you know, the Olympics come, comes around every four years, so I think they just do a good job of just every day just you know we train six days a week just getting me getting me mentally prepared getting me physically prepared You're saying hey you know i know it's only one year three years away or two years away or one year away but just keep keep focus uh you know stay on top of your goals keep on your objectives and they just do an incredible job of just doing that and that helps me well in the in pressurized situations where i can lean on them and depend on them and you know that's what matters to me the most Stakes aren't quite as high at the Canadian Championships this week, but you're busier in your 100 and 200 again as well. Yeah. What, what do you want to accomplish this week in Langley? Yeah, uh, this week in Langley, I want to put together some good performances. I'm hoping that I can be, you know, a Canadian champ once again. It's been a while. I haven't competed at the Canadian Championships since, you know, four years ago in Montreal. So I'm looking forward to just being back on home soil, being here in front of the home crowd and just trying to put together some performances where I can, you know, call myself Canadian champ and also run a good performance going into uh, World Championship in Budapest. All right. Well, there'll be a lot of fans out here watching. Don't blink because you might miss him. He is one of the fastest <laughs> in the world. Squire, back to you. 
Canada played Ireland at the World Cup today. Christine Sinclair started on the bench, but she did come in in the second half as a sub. Crazy goal here for the Irish to start things off. Katie McCabe takes the corner kick and it goes in. That's an Olympico goal. So it's 1-0 for Ireland. Kadesha Buchanan, this was a tough game. It was raining and she takes one right in the ribs there. As you can see here, the rain was coming down hard in Perth. Okay, Canada will tie it before halftime. This one goes in off an Irish defender. So Ireland gets a bit of a lucky break on their goal. Canada gets a lucky break on its first goal. And then Adriana Leon. Nice pass by Abbotsford, Sophie Schmidt. That would make it 2-1. Adriana Leon with the goal that gave Canada the lead and the win. Our next game is against Australia to end off the uh, round robin portion, the group stage. That'll be July 31st. Blue Jays had an afternoon game in L.A. against the Dodgers, and Yusei Kikuchi had a good game. Chris Taylor takes a seat there. And now Freddie Freeman. Yep, swing and miss. Eight strikeouts, eight and three records so far this year for Kikuchi because he got lots of offensive help. Whit Merrifield, that's a three-run blast for the gentleman in baby blue. And it's 8-1 for Toronto, the final over Los Angeles. And let's go back to soccer because... Ever since Messi joined Miami, it's basically God against men. Last night against Atlanta, this is in the League's Cup, Messi scored two more, also set up a couple of goals. Just too good. Just too good. But it's fun to have him in MLS now. Unfortunately, the Whitecaps don't play Miami this year. 4 nothing final last night in League's play. League's Cup play in Vancouver, of course, plays their next League's Cup game in Los Angeles against the Galaxy on Sunday, Lions and Saskatchewan. Make that was last week. Lions in Edmonton. Saturday in Edmonton. Got there. it. I don't know why. I'm just starting to read <laughs> schedules now out of my head. You know them all. Got it. Okay. He's got it all straight there. Now you guys can do the schedule. What's coming up next? Um, uh, let me tell you. Okay. Polona documentarians who feel like they've hit the big time with some uplifting pandemic stories. That's next. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, tonight we have some tips on how to make the BC Ferries website work in your favor. There are a couple of ways to increase your chances of scoring a last-minute reservation. We'll explain that, plus find out why reservations sold out doesn't necessarily mean reservations are sold out. What you should know at 11 o'clock. Sophie? <laughs> He's speaking in riddles now. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. This is going to come in very handy. <laughs> All right. Right now, a mother-daughter filmmaking duo from the Okanagan is enjoying international success after a major pandemic pivot. When everything changed during the COVID outbreak, they focused their lens on local entrepreneurs trying to survive the new reality. Sydney Morton has their story. Watching businesses around our community shut down, I think we all feel the effects of that. When the world shut down in an effort to manage the COVID-19 pandemic, a mother-daughter duo found inspiration coming up with a unique way to support local businesses. During the pandemic, and we were poised to start a new part of our business, and that just all fell apart. And so we were wondering, what are the other artisans doing, and how are they doing? Are they suffering like we are, uh, or are they having to pivot and do something completely different with their skill set? So they put their heads together and came up with a documentary. Our people in our community, our artisans, are just 
miraculous, like what they can do. Each one of them in the film said that had it not been for the pressure of the pandemic, the economic pressure and the social pressure and the inability to do things as usual, they created things they never would have created. But I did have to do that thing they call pivoting quite quite a bit. In their mission to support local entrepreneurs while they navigate the pandemic, the duo has gone international. We sent our film to a bunch of film festivals. We've won over nine different awards across the world and now it's been on streaming sites like Amazon. I really just wanted to tell the story and I wasn't expecting the success really but it's I think a testament to all their stories and everyone wants a story that people can rally behind. Now that the pandemic is over the director and producer hope they can help people have a different perspective when reflecting on that time in our lives. I think definitely some people have reactions of like oh, it's the pandemic we don't want to think about that but how we really reframe kind of the pandemic is okay so this changed us but how did it change us for the better? You can stream When Life Hands You a Pandemic on Amazon Prime in the U.S. and the U.K. and in Canada on the platform Tubi. Sydney Morton, Global News, Kelowna. Great work. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll check in with uh, Yvonne for one last check of the weather. It's a fireworks night. Should be a good one. Yeah, it's going to be very pleasant out there. Late this evening and overnight, we may have some cloud cover, but it'll be dry. Tomorrow morning with that cloud, it'll clear out through the afternoon, through the weekend. We are going to see temperatures into the low 20s, and then it really starts to heat up into later next week. All right. Thanks very much, Yvonne. Thank you for watching. Hope you have a great night. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Enjoy the fireworks. Good night, all.